sure. I'll talk it out. Yeah. Let's just have a conversation. Track three. <clears throat> Better not be fucking Dave Matthews band. Okay. Those of you who don't want to be a part of this can leave now. Derek, please listen to me. But if you choose to stay, which it seems like you guys are choosing. Derek, please. You understand and agree to the following terms and conditions. Derek! One. Derek, this is the virus. You talking. hereby waive your right Derek, please. to your own personal bodily integrity. This is not you. Two. Per the state versus Neville Reed. My colleague and I will not be held criminally liable for any felony or misdemeanor that you may be a victim of, including, but not limited to, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, disorderly conduct, destruction of property, mayhem, and first-degree murder. And three, terms and conditions may change or be updated whenever the fuck I want! Consider yourselves notified. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. Describe the ruckus, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? DJ Nubis. And DJ Neko, can you hear me? Yeah, can you, you hear can. Me? I see the spine. Can you hear me? Hello, hello, oh, <laughs> So, uh, we just got out from seeing Thor Love and Thunder. If you have not checked out on our YouTube channel, we have a review up for that. It's youtube.com slash DJ Anubis Metal Tavern Radio. And if you just search DJ Anubis, he's the second one to pop up. And, uh... You know, we came out of it with a different feeling than Samurai and Lady Fatblood, who actually did a quick uh, car review as they came out. They didn't give a full-blown review, but they clearly came out of the movie a little bit uh, different impression than we did. So, But that's what entertainment does. We always have uh, different views of stuff uh, and the way we approach things. Even Neko and I now are still 
kind of going through thoughts to ourselves and kind of saying, well, this is why we feel this way or why we like this and so on. And I think, too, uh, my biggest, like, because I loved it and I've always been a big Thor fan and I, I love cheesy comedy. And that's another thing between the two of us is we love cheesy comedy. But he and I do not always agree on movies. Like, I, I was just saying to him, he enjoys Harry Potter, but I dislike Harry Potter. I have never turned on a Harry Potter film voluntarily. Same thing with Lord of the Rings. He enjoys Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, or excuse me, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, and I do not. I will, you know, when they came out in the theaters and stuff, I went to see, um, I didn't even go out to see all the Harry Potters. You went out with some of my friends and stuff, like. Yeah, yeah. I, I, they were all dressing up. I wasn't dressing up, but they were. But, you know... Uh, it's just a matter of it's personal like, taste. Right. There's other things, like, horror movies-wise. Uh, there's some stuff that I like that she doesn't. But then, like, there are movies that I fully expect her not to like. And she's like, I really like that. That was really cool. What was one that you... Uh, off the top of your head? Uh, I thought you I thought you actually responded well to Possession. Uh, the, the woman thing uh, where she had an alien sex and all that with Sam Neill's character. Oh, and the one where the... The, the the girl at the beginning has her head smacked off by the pole. Yeah, hereditary. Yeah, yeah. I liked hereditary. So uh, Midsummer, you like? I that like Mid. Well. I really the, the Midsummer is so fucked up, <laughs> and I actually really liked it. And I'm like, does that make me a psychopath? Because I really liked it, but I I feel like sometimes um, when it when it comes to movies, number one. I was just explaining this to uh, DJ Anubis. Sometimes there are movies that I watch when, um, or even TV shows, depending on my mood. Like, so I really give like a 10 out of 10 when I said this on our YouTube, like to Steel Magnolias. And it's it's a heart-wrenching, but very well-acted and, and beautiful movie. But it's not something that's going to make you happy when you watch it at all. Well, but like... But I will watch it if I feel like I need a good cry kind like of thing. But like Spookies is a purposely bad horror movie, but you really didn't like it. Whereas... I like the stuff. But whereas when I show you a movie like Train to Busan, you fucking love that film. So, so good and so gross. I love it. Right. So, you know, it just depends. Like, sometimes you're surprised, but... Uh, again, you know, we came out of Thor, like, look, it's, we, we both agreed that Ragnarok was better than this one, but we still enjoyed this one pretty well. Uh, I don't think it's quite as bad as the critics are giving it, but, you know, again, it's all about taste. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but that won't be our topic in here today. Today we are going to be getting to, of course, our retro DVD movie vault pick, which is Neko's This Week, mm -hmm. uh, Grey Gardens. Uh... We will actually be giving our final breakdown, just like last episode where we broke down uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. We'll be breaking down Stranger Things Season 4. So we've now finished that up. We'll be getting to that uh, in its entirety. Uh, I think when the boys is done, we'll be doing that one at some point. Uh, and then, of course, we'll have a, a review for Last Night in Solo, which is a surprise to both of us that we caught a few nights ago. And we're going to review that for you all as well. And, of course... The music is always uh, up in front and center. A lot of good st classic stuff in there. I got some new stuff, of course, from Everlasting Spew, Curtain Calls, Against PR, Neko's Pick of the Week, a little bit heavier than normal uh, in the rock area. Uh, but yeah, a lot of great music coming your way. 
And in fact, this first block has some classic Metallica. Oh! Some Slaughter Lord. And here's Demolition Hammer with Epidemic of Violence.
Introducing the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast, available today on your favorite podcast platform. Metal Tavern is a heavy metal, rock music, and movie podcast where they discuss movies, music, current events, and feature live interviews with bands, artists, and YouTube personalities. They spotlight independent labels and feature the underground bands the label represents. Again, that's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Stream it today on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, YouTube, and at the website MetalTavernRadio.com. Many episodes up for you to listen to already, and make sure you subscribe to be notified of future releases. That's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Go listen, download, and subscribe today. You can also connect on Facebook, search Metal Tavern Radio, and follow the guys on Twitter at DJ Anubis88 and DJ underscore Nico Catfreak. Hey, Nico. What's up, Nico? I know. I, <laughs> so it's hard to, like, I would feel Nico is N-E-E-K-O. Neko is N-E-K-O. But if anyone is wondering where I've gotten my, uh, moniker it's from my favorite game Nakasumi. yeah it's neko atsumi which literally means cat collector it's a game on um you can get it on iphone android. or android and you put out treats and cats come and then they play with the toys in the yard and leave you treats like fish and then they also leave you mementos and i have been playing this game for three phones ago and <laughs> the funniest thing was when I first started playing it three phones ago when I got an upgrade I lost everything so then I had to redo everything on my old phone from one time ago when I transferred it to this phone boom still have all my shit so I haven't been playing it as much but if you literally just want to look at some cute cartoon cats doing like roly polies. So you're starving your cats. No, I'm not starving my cats. They they come out with some new food to the the sashimi boat where it's like a gigantic boat of sushi and I you know it's stupid but I am a cat freak. I love cats. So look at look at this cat over here. <laughs> look at her just cuddling up and doing cute things. At um at one point, we had four cats and then we had a temporary cat so five cats and we had a bunny at the same time and um we did adopt out roxo to a friend of mine and he's he's living his best life and he's renamed maverick because they've named all of their pets after top gun which is hysterical but i've always i i never really had pets when i was young so it's really cool that DJ Anubis is into pets as much as I am because, you know, we got the four spider, four, four spiders now. DJ Anubis just got a new spider. We've got Miss Kitty who is 19, 20-ish years old and we also have the two rabbits. Um, all very well taken care of, all very well loved. I mean, it's, it's important, I feel like it's important in life to have a pet even if you've i mean you could do something simple like start with a fish or a, a hermit crab something where i i always say to people they they kind of make fun of me for being so into my pets and i'm like listen i've taken the responsibility of another life and 
even if maybe like Miss Kitty is really into just taking naps on her ottoman. She's a sweet cat, but I would never take anything out on her or against her just because that's her personality. Same thing with the rabbits. Like, I am going to give them the best care that I possibly can. And I honestly don't think people even do that with their children at times. Not, I'm not talking to everyone, but we've seen what people do to their own fucking children. Anyway, so why don't you tell them before we talk about last night in Soho, tell them about our new curly haired tarantula, Loki the variant. Yeah, so I got a new uh, tarantula. I took one of my master cultures from my Ossipod Springtail mix, which I do sell on our Shopify uh, page for merch and stuff. So for those that have reptiles, critters, snakes, bioactive enclosures, uh, I do sell both 8 ounce and 16 ounce containers of springtail isopod mix uh, again as I said before some people kind of look at it and say oh man it's kind of expensive well it's expensive only in the sense that it's because it's getting both uh, you'll get like a hundred springtails number one well I won't no you're, you're kind of I'm exaggerating yeah. sorry uh, but the, 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 the dish, right now the, the prices that I have are actually first 8 ounces uh, what's the running price right now for both mixtures like you can go and get springtails by themselves for like 15 20 bucks or get springtails for like 12 uh but together and with the soil and the sphagnum moss and the piece of bark and charcoal that i throw in with it uh my kit my mixes are great for not only just throwing in your enclosure with your creatures but you can also start your own master cultures with them so if you want an eight ounce for that or a sixteen ounce, a sixteen ounce is seventy five bucks. But it's uh, literally almost a master culture itself. Well, yeah, it's two, two together. Which, if you doubled the eight ounce, it'd be ninety bucks. I'm selling it for seventy five. So, but even if you don't go, if you don't need that much, you just want the eight ounce. That's only forty five bucks. Uh, you're getting a lot with it. Most of them won't send you the soil with it. They won't send you. The piece of bark and charcoal that these uh, creatures breed upon uh, they don't send you all that I do um, so they are great for your own master cultures if you want to get started or not I know that the guy that I uh, am doing business with sort of with a local pet shop he had been selling his own isopods for like 10 for like 25 bucks so I'm giving you more now. Like you're gonna get like a heavy dose of both springtails and isopods, so you're probably getting close to thirty or so. Uh, probably thirty isopods, maybe I don't know, fifteen to twenty springtails mixed in there with that. So you're getting a healthy dose of that uh, to kickstart your own cultures. And it's not just for tarantulas. Um, no, people use it in their frogs, um, frogs, iguanas. or even just plants. If you have a plant, uh, bioactive plants. Uh, Vivariums. Yep, any vivarium. kind of vivarium. Yep. So, I. But I, anyway, I wanted to get to the point. Let's get to. Hold on, I, I just wanted to sorry, say that sorry. I traded one of my master cultures to this guy at the local pet shop for my curly hair, because uh, you know we do business together a little bit like that. So I was interested in another spider. Uh, the curly hair was next up. I have a striped knee, a pink toe, and a pumpkin patch, which just molted not too long ago. Uh, so I wanted a curly hair. And I got it, and I've got it going on. We decided to call him Loki, just in case it is a male or female. It'd be a, a variant, so it can it can go either way. 
Uh, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. But uh, we're going to get to our first movie review. Uh, I've been wanting to see this since 2021 uh, from Edgar Wright, uh, who's a director. And it stars uh, Thomasine McKenzie, Anya, Anya Taylor-Joy, Matt Smith, Rita Tushenham, Terrence Stamp. And this Stamp. is Last Night in Soho. Right. Uh, so it, it's kind of like a, a thriller, but it's also a bit of a... Uh, it's got a lot of cool colors and stuff, so it's almost like a mind fuck in some ways. It's not super crazy, but it, there's a lot of like. Uh, so Thomas Zee McKenzie plays a young fashion designer who uh, loves the '60s, both musically and fashion-wise. So that's kind of like her her cornered market. So when she's what, what city was she going to? Uh, New York, Soho, London. Oh, so excuse me. Yeah, so. She goes to Soho to go She's to She's living in the countryside. Right, so she comes from a small little town and whatnot. So she goes to Soho to go to school for design. And, uh, you know, she wants to be like her mother was a fashion designer, but her mom killed herself when she was young. So she's staying with her grandmother, grandmother uh, currently. Uh, apparently, though, her mother had been dealing with, like... Uh, uh, schizophrenia or something like that, or at least, at least what I would call like she she's able to kind of sense sixth sense type stuff, so she can sense very sensitivity to like uh, paranormal events and stuff. So anyway, she gets to Soho, rents a room uh, from this lady uh, at a place because she was staying at like what was a it was uh, like a dormitory, yeah. and it was a little bit too intense for her because she came from the countryside, so. She gets to the dormitory the first night, and uh, she meets, what was her name, Jacinda? Yeah, just, yeah, something like that. And um, it was kind of like before they even started classes, so it was party night. And everything was just kind of out of control. Jocasta. Jocasta, I'm sorry. And she was just, it was out of control. So Eloise was just kind of freaked out about it and she decided that she was going to take what little money she had and try to find her own place. Yeah, because it was a little bit of like the party life and then like she discovered that her roommate and friends were kind of mean to her behind her back so it was kind of like she just didn't really want to be there. Now there was a guy um, I can't remember his name a black fellow who was part of that friend group that really kind of liked her but you know you don't, they don't really get was it a Jack? No, it wasn't Jack. It was uh, uh What is that guy's name? Um, I'm trying to John? think here. Jack? It was... It might be John. Yeah, it was very, like, just a... But he was, like... So, at the party... He was another designer. Yeah, so. he was another designer in the school. And I think the thing that kind of connected them was she, you know... What was her name? Jocasta was talking about the refrigerator, and you have to put your name on everything, and everything inside the refrigerator had Jocasta's name on it. So then Ellie put her name on a can of Coke, and then Ellie, like, went to the party, and Jack had her Coke. Coke yeah. So... You know, they're, they're getting into class and stuff, and, and talking, and one of the things that kind of connected them was he returned her coke to her and it was kind of cute it was kind of sweet like he immediately was kind of drawn to her but 
when Ellie moved into this new place, she started like dreaming. Mm-hmm. You know, it was almost like she was dreaming. It, but it was sort of teleporting her back to those times. So it's like, well, the the thing that the the beauty thing about the movie this is this is what I was saying to you before. Like, the movie doesn't make it look like it's totally teleportation or whatever because she's in bed. She puts on a record from the 60s and she goes to bed. And then you think it's a dream because Ellie is watching things going on around her. And then at one point it's almost like she is kind of merging with with, uh, Sandy slash Alexandra from the 60s and Ellie was really getting into these dreams she would she want to go home go to bed like right at eight o'clock because she was just excited about this so much to the fact that she went to the hairdresser and got her hair cut to look kind of like a 60s mod like blunt bangs and flippy hairdo just like um Sandy's was in in her dreams and she also was starting to design in her brain like very 60s mod style so for me at first when i'm watching it i'm not thinking that initially it's something like supernatural or time travel i'm thinking that ellie is dreaming this and and kind of like living through her dreams the way that her grandmother is saying that her mother is a little schizophrenic to one point where Ellie starts even going vintage shopping and she decides that if she wants to be able to afford these pieces that she wants to purchase, she has to get a job. Um, I forgot the bar's name, but it was pretty significant. Oh my God. Um, she starts bartending Yeah. and um, it was near her home and a lot of like flashbacks started happening while she's bartending because she starts seeing things while she's actually bartending that she sees in her dream and I think that's kind of the catalyst for everything right, going yeah. on. As, as time goes on and she keeps having these flashbacks in her sleep, they start, start to blend in with her everyday life so at one moment she'll she'll see like what she thinks are like dead people and then all of a sudden, like, she's, like, on the verge of stabbing someone who's actually real until uh, John catches her and stops her. But at the time, she thought she was stabbing, like, someone trying to attack her. So, right now, she's really battling whether or not she's going insane or or if she's really seeing these things. And then, of course, she uh, believes that the killer of this woman... Uh, from back in the days. For what she's seeing in her dreams and in her, like, awake state now. But she thinks it's some guy that's been, like, hanging around the bar, an older guy, uh, who's been kind of inquisitive about her and, uh, you know, her look and what she's been talking about. And, of course, that turned into something... uh, I guess that's pretty old. We can kind of get into it if the spoilers... Yeah, you can. Go ahead. Uh... I forget the uh, guy's name, but he ended up being one of the uh, officers, uh, policemen from back in the day, copper as they call it, uh, out there in London. And uh, God, who is that dude? Uh, it's Terrence Stamp as Lindsay. 
Um, <laughs> he was actually a cop who was in trying to actually get she, Sandy, was, who was yes. Tanya Taylor Joy's character, away from the club she was at because he could see that that wasn't really a scene for her. Uh, and we have to point out that you know Sandy. This is back in the '60s, and she also came to Soho trying to live out her dreams. And um, she met, I believe it was John. I, I can't remember the Jack. 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 Yeah, Jack. Played by Matt Smith, was yeah. really good. He did a really good job with that. So she met him, and she was really trying to work the club scene. But Jack just turned out to be a pimp. So anytime that Sandy wanted to sing or do something, he was just like sending men to her. And she would just change her name and do whatever because she started really getting like numb to the feeling like I'm never going to get what I want. Right. And um, again, this is back in the 60s. And, it, you know, Ellie is seeing all of this through her dreams. And at this point, because she's working at the bar where also the frequents were at the bar so she's i guess getting the vibrations i was telling dj anubis i w at first i didn't know if this was like a supernatural movie is this a schizophrenic movie is this i i couldn't figure it out i actually just discovered something uh, do you remember the cloakroom attendants at all in the movie i'm trying to remember where it would be, it would have been during the 60s scenes because that's that those guys were played by James and Oliver Phelps who were in Harry Potter. They oh, were that's twins. crazy! Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that would have that would have been the part where. So remember, towards the beginning, when um, Ellie is sleeping, and she she wakes in her dream and sees Sandy, and she's like putting on her lipstick in right. the mirror, and she walks in and like takes off her. That is where that would be. Oh, okay. That's kind of cool, though. Nice little tie in there. Another interesting thing, too, is um, Diana Rigg and Margaret Nolan. So, Diana Rigg is um, the older Miss Alexandria Collins. Yeah, right. And um, Margaret Nolan was the older barmaid at the bar where Ellie was working that was both of their last films before they passed away so this and I think that's you're going out with a bang for having this amazing right. movie um, because Margaret Nolan um, she came in to talk or she being Ellie came in to talk to the barmaid and she's like I need a job and she's like okay have you ever bartended? And she's like, no. She's like, well, you're pretty. Let's see what happens. Yeah, that's one and of the things that I really enjoy about this. And I, it's weird because I know she's young. She's not like pedophile young, but she's young. She's college age. Thomasine McKenzie has like this very, very cute voice. Like I don't, uh, I know she was in another movie uh, a couple of years ago that we had seen, but she's not really a familiar face yet but this is a good movie for her to kind of break out with uh very very cute girl but uh she just was in a, jojo rabbit yeah yeah but we just kept trying to say like her voice sounds so familiar to somebody else that we had seen like whether it's the singer from uh the galaxy or whatever it was that we remember hearing and yeah, it's, it's got like that uh 
it's almost like a, it's not really squeaky, but it's just, it's very high and cute. Like, it's just, you, you would think she might have a little bit deeper voice than she has, but uh, it's really interesting. She sounds kind of like Duffy. Yes. Yeah, that was another one we were talking about. And it's, it's like she always talks, it's high, but she also has like kind of a gravel to her voice. So it's... It's not, when you hear gravelly voices, it's normally like, oh, it sounds like I just smoked a thousand camels, but hers is all up here. And I'm, yeah. But it's not like Wicked Witch sounding. It's it's almost, it, it sounds innocent and confused all at the same time. That, right. I think that's the best way it's, to it's describe it. It's like a major, like a big innocence about it. And for her, she... I think she, when she started, like, having these dreams and visions, she just fell in love with what Soho was in the 60s. And that's why she was like, I need that Biba dress. I need that coat. I need to have my own place. I need to work. I need to do this. She really wanted to feel like she was in that time period. But it started really fucking with her head and fucking with her, her work because... She was being picked on by some other students, but then her actual teacher was looking at her designs and just I'm really liking it. And and saying this is this is good. This is this is Yeah, cuz it's almost like a project runway. Yeah, thing. it like, is. So, so they're basically trying to stand out among the other students and but as Neko said, that, you know, her issues with the at night traveling back in time and viewing these events uh, where they start blending in with her real life was causing problems but her teacher was still kind of look out for her. Uh, and it was inspiring but it, her. But it didn't help that in the same process that uh, Ellie was trying to solve this mystery because she really looked up to uh, Sandy who was the main girl that she was envisioning in these, these dreams. So there's a moment where Ellie witnesses what appears to be uh, Sandy's death at the hands of uh, she Jack. She thinks it's Jack, yeah. So uh, now that's when it begins this, this other quest where we find the guy who's the police officer that she doesn't isn't aware of, and she thinks he's the one that's Jack. Um, you know at an older age kind of following her around so there's like this she thinks that now he knows that she knows too much and so she's trying to like grill him about what he knows he actually she actually accuses him believing that he's jack uh some unfortunate events happen after that <laughs> to poor Lindsay. uh but, but then it becomes clear that when that happens that she had the wrong guy in mind um and really, towards the end, it, it just gets into more of a supernatural thing. But we also have this twist ending, which I think we'll just spare you all from, because I think people need to see this, and I don't want to give it away. I don't want to give it away either, because this movie was so weird. This is one of my best movies I've ever seen. When, when it, Again, when we were talking about, like... And it's, again, it's one of those ones where I'm saying, like, when I showed it, when I was getting ready to show it to Neko, I was like, you know, I really wanted to see this because I was interested. She had never heard of it, and so when by the time we were done with it, I, I don't think I don't think we were even like halfway through. She's like, I love this fucking movie. Mm -hmm. And I, by the time I got this done is, with this it, this is up there with The Departed with me. So you have to understand, like, The Departed came out when two thousand six. Yeah. 
The Departed has been like a number one for me. Steel Magnolias came out in the 90s. Like this is up there with my number ones now. Yeah, so it's 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 worked itself in my heart and I will probably watch it 150 times now and now we've got the DVD and it needs to go on my hard drive so I can watch it while I'm out. Yeah, because uh, you know, I bought it. When I find movies that I really, really like, I'm pretty much immediately on Amazon looking for it or some site. And I actually got a great deal on the Blu-ray because... I think it was like $14. Right. Like, not it, much it's normally like 30 I think. So it, we got a really good deal on it. Uh, so I immediately bought it. But yeah, I don't want to give away too much on the ending because there is a bit of a twist there, which makes the movie unique. And it, I mean, we've seen twist endings before, but this is something we didn't really expect. I, I kind of suspected uh, it might get there, but then even finding out the very end, I didn't see coming at all. Like you know, mm -hmm. stuff like that. So I do want to say I'll give a tiny piece of the ending away. Is that Ellie? Her teacher had a lot of faith in her, and she had an amazing runway show. And mm -hmm. it, it just proved that, you know, sometimes genius comes in madness. Yeah, it works out for her in the end with a lot of different things. You also think that one of her friends uh, might be gone. You know, I'm not going to get into who, but you know, a lot of things unfold. But at the very end, we kind of get the happy ending and whatnot. So... If you like the 60s, 60s music, 60s fashion, if you like suspense, um, if you like a crazy twist ending, if you want to watch something... See, he showed me the trailer, and I said, I have no idea what's going on with this movie, but we'll watch it. Okay, we watched it, and I just kept wanting more. Like, I didn't want the movie to end because... I, I just loved every way that they approached this movie and again we said this earlier about Thor everybody has different taste when it comes to movies but yeah it's funny because I you know Edgar is one of those guys as a director where I keep saying to myself I keep thinking either Robert Eggers or uh, Ari Aster who did Hereditary and Midsommar mm -hmm. I always kind of confuse them because you know I hear uh Wright's name a lot and a lot of that is because in 2017 he did Baby Driver which is a very good movie as well uh, but what people don't know and I, even I didn't know because I don't know how I missed it he's actually the director for uh, a lot of Simon Pegg's movies like Shaun of the Dead, is Hot Fuzz yep uh, he actually co-wrote a lot of those films uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World which I didn't really care for but a lot of people love that film I've never actually seen that yeah, so, you know, he also did The World's End, which was another Simon Pegg film. So he did a lot of stuff. He was a writer for Ant-Man, for Marvel. Uh, but, yeah, it, you know, a lot. Of, yeah, I think Baby Driver got, like, a lot of nominations and stuff or something like that at the time. Uh, I don't think he won anything. But, you know, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fudge are, like, two of the best comedies you'll ever we, find. We do like them a lot. Yeah. So. All right. We recommend this movie. 10 out of 10. Exactly. <laughs> it is up there. I mean, this is up there with The Departed for Yeah, me. Yeah, I, I kind of, I didn't know how I'd like it in the end, but I knew I was interested in it. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy is, like, becoming one of my favorite actresses. I've seen her recently with Northman, which Neko hasn't seen yet. I haven't. You went to see that without me. It's on um, Peacock right now, I think. Uh... But she was also in The Witch, which I know she doesn't like. I like, hate The Witch. Except for the Black Phillip. We love Black Phillip. The Witch. 
It's the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> Worse than Harry Potter. Oh, God. But I like Black Phillip. Black Phillip, Black Phillip. All anyway, right. what's next? Tell me, baby. A couple blocks of music before we get into the rock block. We got some brand new stuff from uh, Human Barbecue, New Alestorm, <laughs> Void Rot, provided by Everlasting Speed Records, and here's some brand new Paganizer with a Meat Packer.
DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite atomic breathing lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y Sci-Fi Century Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla related information Peace They woke up one morning One morning they wake up at 5 in the morning They were younger I don't know how old they were But they were younger like, I don't trust dads who know exactly how old their kids are. <laughs> if you're talking to a dad, he's like, 16 months today, he better be married to another dad. <laughs> and that's, I don't mean that homophobic. I'm not homophobic at all. I'm not. I'm not. I'm definitely not. I'm more like a homochondriac. Like, I'm comfortable if you're gay, I'm comfortable with your lifestyle, I'm just afraid one night you'll get me drunk and trick me into it. <laughs> and I'll like it. <laughs> That's my fear. <laughs> I'll like it and I'll be good at it. Line <laughs> <laughs> <Light> up! <laughs> So I saw a gay porn once for like 45 minutes. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Holy shit. Ladies, you gotta step up your blowjob game. Yeah, you're still playing JV basketball, and the gay guys are the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah, dunking on cocks. Oh! Holding their own head. Fuck this face, son! What the fuck are we talking about? I'm literally, how did I get off on this gay rant? The fucking... Oh, my daughters, my daughters, my daughters. Huh. Gay guys shugging cock. Oh, my daughters, okay, here we go. This'll work.
Roger from No Moss, and also Ben from No Moss. Hey, Henry over here from No Moss. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Come get it. Get lit. Yeah, and John too. <laughs> Alright, we're back. We're back. Getting ready to jump into our rock block for this evening. We have some National Napalm, Napalm Syndicate from, mm -hmm. uh, who are they from? Uh, who do I got this from? Oh. Oh, Tarja Promotions. Got some Grand Bonnet Band, brand new stuff from them. Hartley from Against PR. Ken Valdez from Curtain Calls, as well as Controller from Curtain Calls. Mm -hmm. And of course, your pick of the week. Good pick. So let's kick it off though with controller. This is called Redemption.
Looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at A328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and is highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you
We're back, DJ Nubis. And DJ Nico. It is now time for Neko's Pick of the Week. That was the Grand Bonnet Bandoon Brave New World. So this week I feel like I picked something kind of iconic. like Which borderlines on heavy metal. So. Yeah. But so we've done heavy metal in this block before anyway. I mean, I've, I've done corn. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done light rock. You know, I but this song, I what I, what I do with DJ Anubis is I kind of do a song dump. And I'm like, have I done these songs? And brrr, and he keeps a better track of it than I do. And this happens to be the next on the list. And when he told me this week we're going to talk about this particular song, I was like, are you sure we haven't done this? And he's like, no, we haven't. And I can't believe it because it's one of my favorite. I'm pretty certain we have not. Well, I mean, it's one of my favorite songs. It's, it, it, it's not even because I'm like a huge you know, fan of the band. It's just, I'm a fan of the song, period. So this song came out in 1980, October 1980. October 27th, 1980 to be exact. And I was born November 8th, 1980. So it's kind of like, hmm, kind of like my birthright almost, like right around the same time that I was born. And I think... I'm trying to, I mean, I, I really cannot remember the first time I heard this song, but the first time that this song was kind of immortalized to me was back in 2008. Because, and this is so stupid. This is why it like kind of started resonating with me with how iconic this song is. There was an AT&T commercial and there was this dude playing pool. And he was, he's wearing the Motorhead shirt and he's got the, the denim vest and he's singing Ace of Spades and like headbanging and there's alternate him kind of talking over him saying, your friends tried to call you 30 times because he's got tickets to see Motorhead, but you have zero cell service in this podunk bar or some crap like that. So after that came out in 2008, I mean, I have been hooked on this song, and you remember when it came out. Um, so I literally just picked this song because I liked it, and I liked the commercial, and I feel like Motorhead is super iconic, and... I mean, I don't, I don't know, is there a more Motorhead song than Ace of Spades? I, I mean, you think of how many times I've I mean, I'm sure to... A Motorhead fan, they would be like... Yeah, the whole metal community, they're going to say, well, <clears throat> Ace of Spades is like their most famous track, but they were going to probably, you know... Nitpick it. Well, no, they'll probably just start going and say, well, yeah, it's a great tune, but then, you know, we're... We've been around since the beginning, so there's all these other tracks that we think are much better or whatever. But I just feel like the Ace of Spades is the same age as me, because literally it came out less than two weeks before I was born. And, come on, think of... This was another one that I used to play on Rock Band all the time, too. <laughs> yeah, it was around this time on the, the Bark at the Moon. Yeah, there. so 2008, I have to say, I... There, the connection is honestly just a 
favorite song. Sometimes these songs that I pick as my pick of the week, I, I really resonate from my youth or I start thinking of something special like, I know sometimes I've picked things that were important to DJ Anubis and I, but this literally is kind of a guilty pleasure. And that's okay. I think people have to understand that having a guilty pleasure in life is fine. If you if you want to drink fancy double latte frozen cappuccinos and then somebody who drinks I want like some fancy sauce. You want some fancy sauce? <laughs> like it's okay to have a guilty pleasure. You can have like the super fancy coffee that's super sugary and then you have the coffee snob being like, uh I mean that's that's just life. I drink wine from a box, and some people won't drink wine that's less than eighty dollars a bottle. Right. I like wine. I'm sorry. She's a wine source. I'm a wine source Rex. But so having a guilty pleasure like Ace of Spades is perfectly acceptable. I think it's a phenomenal song. It's got that. I mean, Lemmy's the bassist anyway. So you've got that like amazing like bass. You've got that amazing like. -na 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 -na. I don't know if I can't even do it right with my mouth, but I every time I listen to it, I get all jacked up. I feel like I need to go for a drive in my Camaro, which I don't own. So um, if you like a good guilty pleasure. And if you like to gamble, I present to you the Ace of Spades. Audio jump. Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. In a moment, we will bring you on a journey. Like there's no tomorrow, and we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. DJ Neko's pick of the week. Yeah. 
But that's the way I like it, baby. I don't wanna live forever. And don't forget the Joker.
Hey, DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course, everyone's favorite atomic breathing lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y. Sci-Fi Century. Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla-related information. Peace. Oh, God. Oh, God, Eddie. Bad, huh? No, 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 no. You're going to be fine. We just got to get you to a hospital, okay? Okay. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Come on. Give me a second, okay? Okay. I didn't run away this time, right? No, 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 no. You didn't run. You're gonna have to look after those little sheep for me, okay? No, you're gonna do that yourself! Nah, man. Say I'm gonna look after them. Say it. I'm... I'm gonna look after them. Good. This thing actually could graduate. <laughs> I think it's my year, Anderson. I think it's finally my year. I love you, man. There you have it. The death of the best fucking character is season four of Stranger Things. <laughs> so we're going to put spoilers here and we'll put it on our podcast as well that there are spoilers. Granted that it's been out for a week. Weeks. Yeah, it's been out for a little while. It's a big show. So again, as normal, if you're someone who hasn't gotten around to it, just pass through this and then come back later if you want. But uh, we will be discussing spoilers. Uh, we've been talking about the show a little bit from the first part of it to now the second part. but um, And then if you saw our live with uh, Derek from Flicksacks and Knickknacks, and we also posted it on the, the live YouTube. chat that we did on YouTube. Yeah, so we also posted it on YouTube. We, we did talk a, a few spoilers, and spoiler alert, Mommy has a new Tumblr coming. That is the <laughs> Hellfire Club. As soon as I get that. So, um... It is phenomenal. It is glittery, shaky, and it also has like pictures of Eddie and the Hellfire Club. And you know me, I love my iced coffee. I love my cold coffee, and I, I have so many 
cups and I could always use another tumbler and I was looking at 80 creations on Instagram and she was doing shirts and then I also saw that she did like a special um cup for a friend of hers with her her children's oh. pictures on it and I said hey you did these really nice shirts with the Hellfire Club and with with Eddie on it can you do a cup with and she made it for me and she shipped it out so as soon as I get it I will put it up and I'll show you drinking my drink out of my cup I I feel like you and I we have been watching Stranger Things for six years now well, we start from the beginning. Yes. And I, there are a few people that I know um, who never watched it. And then after they're hearing, like, how great season four was, they went back and started from the beginning. And they're like, yeah, I know I've never seen it. And, oh, my God, I'm really all in now. And, and I actually, so we finished season four a couple of days ago. But I actually was so interested in kind of going retrospective back into season one to see you know we forget that these are children like they're literally children who are acting and you know they're such great actors how they deal with everything that's going on and i it's it's amazing because this was a tough season and every season something kind of horrific happens and you look back and they're even younger and now you look and they're in high school now and you're like holy crap these kids just really have some acting chops yeah um there's a lot to get to in fact there's actually some controversy now with oh Noah shit Snappy. what happened well i'll get to it in a little bit after later because it's off it's not tied in with the show okay. itself but with the actors we'll go and, ahead, baby. um so there's an article I got here on LaineyGossip.com. It's L-A-I-N-E-Y Gossip.com. Stranger Things 4 ends as it begins bloated. Um, and Neko's heard me talk about this a little bit, as well as uh, the other night when we were doing our live chat with uh, Derek from Flicksnacks. Um, watching this season, and this is only the really negative aspect of it. I really love this season, but the negative part of it for me was how Hopper and Weona Ryder's character were really kind of dealt with. And it's like we had this side story with those adults um, dealing with Hopper being found in Russia and all this stuff that happened from that. But when it came to the main story with the kids, with Eleven and Dustin and even, as you just Will heard, Eddie months And Eddie. Uh, they were the bigger part of the story and something that this article mentioned real quick was something that I kind of feel is true and especially now and it says uh, where did I see it okay I like all those characters this is she's saying basically she loves David Harbour and Wayne Ryder and of course the adults in this series however she does feel that at this stage, with the kids now growing up and being teenagers and stuff, they've kind of outgrown the need for, for adults to be in this show. And I think that's true because we're trying to hold on to these other characters from the previous seasons, Hopper and whatnot, 
but it's really the focus is really being about the kids still like just their teenage years and they're growing up and getting older and I think that's true because the one thing that was kind of a weird vibe throughout the entire season was going from being very invested in uh, Max, Eleven, Dustin, and, and characters, and then all of a sudden you're switching over to Russia where all this other stuff going on. You just kind of find yourself not caring about that part of it. Uh, while it still does deal with uh, the underside and everything else, and of course Hopper we lost in the the, the third season who this is the explanation why he's back I think that's what it was is people were so upset about Hopper right going away and they thought it, Hopper died in the third season that when you see Joyce get a glimpse that Hopper is alive that's what kind of but I think it almost I'm, I'm thinking it back now it's not that I don't like the character of course Hopper ends up coming home with Leona Ryder's character uh, and everybody at the end, and it reunites with Eleven. Uh, so it's a nice moment. But spoiler alert! Yeah, but at the at the at the the real, real the reality is we could have just done without Hopper. Like it didn't really fit with this season for me. Uh, unless you were going to make some sort of side story uh, to Stranger Things, which they could have done. Uh, but the big story, obviously, this this season was the two actors portraying Max. Sadie Sink, as well as Eddie Munson by uh, Joseph, uh, I forget his name here, uh, what is his name, what is his name, Joseph something. Joseph Keery? Um, uh, Joseph Quinn, excuse Sorry, me. Joseph yep. Quinn, Joe Keery is, uh, what's his face, the older, the older uh, uh, Harrington. Right, so one thing that Nick and I talked about with uh, Derek the other night was or even to ourselves was that it, it's what's cool about Stranger Things it still takes place in the 80s it's in 86 uh, we we get a vibe from Eddie Munson and what goes on with what's going on in the town of Hawk Hawkins uh, where it has the whole like satanic panic thing going on mm -hmm. so you've got uh, law enforcement Parents, uh, the, uh, the jocks uh, group trying to hunt down Eddie and his friends, who are basically the outcasts of, of school, um, except for, I can't remember the young black kid's character name, but he had actually started joining the jocks with playing basketball and, and branching out socially. Caleb, well, that's his actor name. Um, right. He plays uh, Lucas, sorry. Lucas, yeah, thank you. So, so Lucas was athletic so he got accepted on the basketball team but he was also in the hellfire club because he liked D&D they've been playing D&D right. for and six that's, years and that's something that Eddie Munson who's actually failed a couple of times in high school is still there and uh, but he's like this older kid that Dustin and Lucas and everybody looks up to because he's well not really the cool kid he's the cool kid in their type of vibe group He's the cool kid because he, he is... He stands up for himself. He's, he's like 18 at this point. And he's like... He realizes... Because he comes from a troubled past, too. High school is kind of bullshit. So when, when people are, are kind of giving him... Like, making him feel like a nerd. Or making his friends feel like nerds. There's this whole... In, in one of the early episodes where he's 
standing up in lunch kind of like being all dramatic and stuff because he just doesn't care because he's so above I don't want to say so above high school but he I think because of his life experiences and his age he's like I like what I like I don't care and if I have friends who you guys consider are nerds I will accept them because they want to hang out with me and play games and y'all have the problem not me and he's he's being a, even though he he's the one that overall in in the series people are looking at that he's evil or whatever he's the one who's kind of being a little bit more adult about things over the jocks who are being very um emotional and irrational not listening to the police not listening to anyone mm -hmm. eddie is always like yes at the beginning he was scared of what happened when we talked with about Chrissy, it before yeah. with Chrissy but I think any rational person would be scared if somebody like levitated and all of their bones cracked and then they collapsed on the ground well there's a fear of that plus the idea that oh my god I know how society looks at me mm -hmm. and there's nothing for me to prove what happened to Chrissy so now I have no choice but to fucking run and that's what he does, and you know everyone's looking for him, including Dustin. And they, they, Dustin and the group, of course, understand what's going on. So they're not, they know that they're not judging, right? They know that Eddie didn't do this. They know there's another reason for it, but the rest of the town uh, doesn't understand that. So they're, and of course, the whole thing with you know the jocks saying, well, they're worshiping Satan because there is a point later in the second part of the season. I forget the main jock's name, but he was dating Chris, and he confronts Lucas, who is watching over Max, who's in a trance-like a trance-like state, and he's basically threatening Lucas, like you need by gunpoint no less, you need to get her out of out of that state and bring her and quit this, and he can't do it because it's dangerous to Max. Uh, so obviously that's a tensive moment for those two guys, uh, where Lucas is trying to protect her, and yet. He's got a gun in his face from another kid. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, the moment there with Eddie Munson and Dustin there when Eddie, uh, he dies, unfortunately. And this is where my rant's going to come in. Uh, not because I dislike this season. Uh, it's a really good season. In fact, Neko and I agree this is probably one of the more scarier seasons they've had because it's darker. Uh, they did a very good job with how... Like, this. Vecna is very, very scary and almost something like you could imagine him in your nightmares almost like Freddy Krueger. Who appeared, uh, uh -huh. as far as Robert England's concerned, as one of the characters. Uh, but one thing that Joseph Quinn said, uh, the actor that played Eddie, about this season was he was surprised that the brothers who direct this series actually showed the like bone breaking and the very like horrific ways that these it's not kids just died. the bone breaking it's the bro bone the breaking. blood from the eyes no, no, the sound yeah of that. yeah it has a very asian ghost like vibe about it and so joseph was really kind of surprised they went as far as to show a lot of that 
but that, that worked and it was effective, and that's what made this season really special. I mean, I they've been scary and there have been horrible things that have happened, but I think because of this, they did it four times with kids. Yeah, they're kids. They're they're young people that they literally showed the the bone breaking, the eyes bleeding, and then you know, collapsing and dying, I I think that's kind of what gets people because you're like, okay, last season there was shit happening, but like when you see it go down, you don't see like the um the graphic nature of right, it. Right, because most of it was like you would see scary monsters, mm -hmm. like just some of what came from the underside and it was more a monster form. You didn't see like the actual devastation to humans in this and where season four focused a lot on that oh it did it did and 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 i i do like the whole tie-in with season four as well that ties back to 11's um beginnings mm -hmm. it's it's i i thought that season four was going to be the end but the way they ended season four, it was still open ended enough to give us a season five. If Which they, I think they've I think cleared. I think they've green lighted season five. But at this point, um I think if uh Stranger Things can get to seven seasons that'll be good for them because most series But that'll put them at like seniors in high school. Right. And and most series that are successful go at least seven seasons. So uh, you know, just not like I mean, they could go like supernatural in twenty. I can't, still can't believe they got that well, far. Well, look but. at, look at, let's go old school like Mesh. I think went like twenty seasons. I mean, but I mean, like most of your like, you know, fantasy stuff like Buffy went seven. Uh, I think Gilmore Girls went seven. Uh, most of them like uh, Mad Men. I think went seven. So most of them kind of mm -hmm. just go about seven seasons, and then they kind of say, okay, enough's enough. Uh, this season, or this series, we knew that they've always been playing it kind of by ear. They didn't know how it was going to respond or how people were going to like it. And as it's gone along, people have really supported it and really done a lot to view it. Uh, so, yeah, I'm hoping at least seven seasons. I mean, as long as they can make the stories work and keep it. The thing that I really like about Stranger Things is kind of... Um the opposite of American Horror Stories. Now, there's there's pros and cons to both. Like, um, the same thing happened with American Horror Story, their first season, where they were just kind of, like, kind of going by the seat of their pants. They were writing as they were filming, and it turned out to be, like, a hit. But when you went into season two, it was a completely different story. They were tr doing it as, like, an anthology-style season, where this is keeping with the, you know, the whole cast and the whole story, but this actually works. Where, like, I don't think there was so much with American Horror Story after season one, the story that they came up with would follow another season or another season or another season. This, the writers are getting really creative. And I kind of find that cool because it is really hard I mean, they went from one thing in season one 
to something different in season two to another wholly different thing in season three and now season four you've got characters that have developed for a long time and and this is why I went back and started watching season one again because you've got you know Nancy and um what's his face Was it Billy? Is it Billy? Is that his name? No, Billy was the brother of Max. Yeah, Steve. Sorry. So in season one, Nancy is so, like, infatuated with Steve. And they were dating. And it all kind of, like, ended and changed in season two and changed in season three. But, like, in season four, you know, even they, even with everything that happened, like, Nancy and Steve they still have that attraction you can kind of see it even though she's with um jonathan mm -hmm. um they're they've been through so much as young adults that they can put their past behind them their their petty little like dating past and whatever happened before to be like okay we're gonna fight this and we're gonna make it happen and um I find that I find that fascinating that these characters, these actors can pull that, you know, pull that out of themselves. I know that sounds weird, but like can really pull it off because there's a lot of emotion like one, two and three have some emotion, but I feel like this one is super emotional more than one, two and three. And that's some of where my problems come in. Um, I love emotion. Don't get me wrong. And I'm, again, I'm not disappointed with this season. I'm just disappointed with particular things. And one, Eddie Munson, like I said, was one of the best characters of this season. He was very likable. You understood his pain. You understood what he was going against. Uh, he went out with a bang. It wasn't like he was, you know, he definitely went out a hero. So it wasn't like that. There was a nice thing after his death when Dustin had to go and approach his, his uncle, who was watching over him, and explain that... That was the saddest part, because his uncle ripped We're still down, looking for him. His yeah. uncle ripped down a poster of Eddie with, like, a satanic symbol on his face and put another one up. About him missing. About him missing. And then... Dustin walked over to his uncle and spoke with him saying, you know, I was with Eddie when the earthquake happened. And he didn't go into detail because, you know, how would someone believe Respond that? Yeah, him. how would you believe that you're in the underworld and fighting, you know, demon bats? But he said, I was with Eddie when the earthquake happened and he was fighting for this town when everyone in this town was not fighting for him. He went out as a hero because he loved this town. And super emotional, like Dustin's emotional, his uncle is emotional, and um, I think one complaint that a lot of people had was Dustin was not Eddie's only friend. You know, Eddie had was friends with Will, he was friends with, with all the other Hellfire Club, yeah, one thing we have to point out before she goes on is that Max, played by City Sink, was uh, one of the characters who was 
who had a connection with Vecna and towards the end there uh, Vecna had her pretty much broken up in pieces like she was levitating and he was getting ready to kill her basically and really kind of she was supposed to be the minute. fourth but it didn't succeed go as planned it, well it did succeed eventually uh, but one of my issues is is that you know the the writers for this series are fine with killing off certain characters and Eddie Munson being one of them now Max was going to be another one it seemed like and then somehow Eleven is able to go into uh, the other plane of existence and sort of like connect with her in a way to kind of bring her back out of this so when we end this season uh, Max is in a hospital but in a coma but Eleven also tried to go into her brain and saw there's nothing left right. in her brain or lost. Yes. I, I have a feeling Max is still going to come back. But I, I just hate it that, like, we couldn't find, like, a better redemption arc for Eddie than to die. And I, I understand some of the logic behind it because the, even he, if he we survives... All thought, we all thought that Hopper died. Maybe Eddie didn't die. Maybe. And that's the thing about the underworld. Like, we don't know what it really means for people like that. So he may end up coming back. But just like Vecna he was uh, a different person like he was human when Eleven actually forced him into the underworld and he became something else uh, now granted he already had like special abilities when he did that but that doesn't mean anybody who's in the underside can't again become something else bad or good uh, the soundtrack is great as usual uh, I've never been disappointed with their sound uh, song choice throughout the uh, series. Obviously, there's a great moment where Eddie's playing master puppets, trying to draw attention for all the bats and stuff that he's out there. And uh, as Neko told me the other day, Kate Bush running up the hill became like a, another, another number one. I mean, it's an '80s tune that's now back up to number one in current day. So, like, people are being drawn to these songs. Even Metallica's Master of Puppets broke into the top ten again over like after. 30 years. And I've seen the same two compliments and complaints about this. So some people are like really angry that, and these are, you know, who they are. These are people saying like, I can't, I can't believe that you are just finally discovering Kate Bush and blah, blah, blah. But then there's somebody else who who posted and I have no idea who it was it was on Twitter and he was like just imagine being able to hear your favorite song again for the first time and you know recognizing it and hearing it and realizing that it's an amazing song and it's something that you've heard for the last 30 years and you've loved so we have a whole new generation of people who are hearing Kate Bush singing you know running up that hill and they're connecting with it. We're, you know, we're talking about people who are, you know, 16, 17, watching Stranger Things and learning about this song and connecting with it. Same thing with Master of Puppets. You know, a lot, you and I are older and we have kind of followed Metallica through their career. What has, you know, in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and now we're seeing young people who have really no gauge on what 
Metallica is, and they're hearing Master of Puppets for the first time, and they're going, what is Eddie playing? Holy shit, this is really, really good. Me, and I hope you too, as a fan, are like, we, we welcome all of you to appreciate what Metallica was. This was like 1987, you know, like this is, this is really, really good and it's okay. I think it's a great thing that, you know, Kate Bush and Metallica are both climbing up the, the charts again and people who have never heard of Metallica or heard of Kate Bush are saying to themselves, I need to follow this. I need to, you know, put this in my Spotify, follow them, go on Pandora, check out their catalog. And a lot of these people are so young that they were maybe born 17 years ago. So they, they don't even know the whole trajectory of their career. So when you hear something like, I remember hearing Master of Puppets, I remember hearing Kate Bush as a young person. And I was really young. You were a teenager. So it was influential and game changing for us. So uh, a 16, 17 year old who hears it for the first time is, is feeling like we were when it actually happened back in the day. I don't have a problem with that, but there are some like, again, with our gatekeeping thing, there are some gatekeepers who are like, oh, you don't even know what it was. Look at Metallica turned out to be like, uh, they're so bad. Look at Reloaded or, uh. Don't look at it like that. Like, appreciate Metallica's entire trajectory. And that's what I do. I lived it. I loved it. And I will always love it. And I hope everyone who appreciates some, you know, a band or whatever, loves it like you do yeah i think the final thought here is that stranger things is a very good series um it probably could use a little bit of cutting out which was something the article mentioned about we're at a stage now where we have maybe a few too many characters and so even though we're cutting out guys like characters like eddie munson who were just uh, who appeared in this season you know, we still have Max out there, so maybe it was better to kind of let her go. Uh, maybe it's time for the adults to kind of take the back seat and just run with, like, the core group because they're really the focus of the entire show anyway. How would you have felt, though, if they cut out the adults and did, like, the kids? Because you had two different sets of kids doing something. But then they did, like, Stranger Things, like... 4.1 and it was Joyce finding Hopper. So like No, and I mentioned that like a side story to Stranger Things would be great for Hopper and Joyce because this way you can just build upon it and that could be like a whole thing. So what you could do is it was like maybe the first or second episode where Joyce got that message. You could keep that in the episode and then have Joyce go on her quote-unquote business meeting and disappear right and then have the kids do their thing but then do stranger things like 4.1 and it's joyce dealing with going to russia and i think that might have been a little bit more cohesive yeah definitely yeah i mean i i don't know because i am not a writer 
but I think that also would have given enough of you wouldn't have to do a whole season you could have done like four episodes of Joyce and Hopper and what was his name Murray yeah so you could have had a whole mini season of the four of them dealing with what was going on in Russia and you could have you know dived deep into that but cut out cut go to where Joyce finds out that Hopper's still alive have her go away have the kids have no idea what's going on and then do stranger things right because the reality is throughout the entire season this this season they there was no communication between the adults and the kids they knew not where anybody was uh, all that Eleven knew was that Joyce had left for mm -hmm. a conference, as she called it. So that, you know, if you would come forward before season four and say, we're going to have a, a spinoff series uh, with Joyce and Hopper and do that, what you just said about the, the first or two episodes and have her there, and maybe some cameos throughout both series, then that's fine. Uh, but that, as I said, it seemed like it was kind of, misplaced in this season because you're really getting into what's going on with the kids and then it's immediately taking you to where Hopper is and you're kind of like, you're interested but you're not as invested as you are what's going I, on I in the main the story. I think the thing is, is because it's so different and because what Hopper was going through was so violent so if you would have kind of compartmentalized that and I think all of the Russia series would have been better served together because well, there's a lot to build upon there and and i think part of it is <clears throat> excuse me so sorry i think you lose a little bit of the effect of how horribly hopper was um treated and how he was abused because it's like one minute you see Hopper being abused, and the next you're seeing Mike and Will in a van. Right. And that's the thing. Like, there's a moment where Joyce is reunited with Hopper, and she sees some of that damage. That's a big moment. Like, they did a good job with them two at that time, but they couldn't expand on it because you're you're having to jump to the other mm -hmm. kit, the other part of it. So it's like there's no processing what's going on with Hopper. It would have been better if... Again, see Stranger Things 4.1. You Joyce is doing her thing. She's speaking with her Russian friend. She's getting the plane, etc. You have all of that because that itself is a buildup. Mm -hmm. And if you kind of separated that and turned that into its own little mini series, again, it wouldn't have to be an entire like season, like eight episodes. It could be like maybe three or four episodes but you would really you would feel more the impact because what's happening with hopper is a little bit more emotional than what's happening with the kids the things that's happening with the kids is scary mm -hmm. the stuff that's happening with hopper is horrifying and hurtful and emotional and yeah it's like a whole different feel yeah it's, a, it's a different feel and because you're you're looking at hoppers being beat and then oh the kids are you know in high school and that's the other thing though because we know hoppers in russia but we just don't really understand why like why there why that point because he was taken by the russians in season three he's in a yeah it, they were russian in season three yeah and, but they, he was blown through something mm -hmm. the russians controlled 
the whole like vortex in season three so he was trying to sacrifice himself and he thought he was sacrificing himself but he didn't die and then the russians took him and put him in prison okay so that's what that's why i'm like saying it would be a whole different yeah i just yeah. i would have been better to split that up Anyway, right, let's get I know. back into the music. We're, We're doing the whole in and out, in and out. Running on here. So That's what I do. Got some uh, Lykeheim uh, from Against PR, some Provectus from Hard Life Promotions, but here's some brand new Sayer. This is called Fallen.
Everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? They suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. Alright, we're back. We are back, and this is the Retro DVD Movie Vault. So this week was my choice, and I am always a sucker for something that is historic, and also kind of, well, this is kind of a two-for-one this week. So, I purchased the DVD Grey Gardens, which was a dramatized version of the 1975 uh, documentary in the same name, Grey Gardens. And I showed it to DJ Anubis, and as we were watching it, I was explaining to him that this is really a true story. This is, you know, the people in this, the mother and daughter, are related to Jackie O. And he was kind of like surprised. He he saw it and he's like he just thought it was a movie. And I for me, I am always just interested in history and and things that could happen and especially like when you see people who were like when I say rich I'm talking like Elon Musk rich and then they fall into squalor and if you don't know what that means it means they live without running water and they poop in buckets and they live with um, the elements taking over their mansion and yes they still lived in a mansion so the backstory of this is Big Edie and Little Edie, so mom and daughter. When you first see them in the actual 1975 documentary, they were chosen because Little Edie is the cousin of Jackie O, 
and Big Edie is the aunt. And they were doing something initially on Jackie O, but then they decided that the Beals, which is Big Edie and Little Edie, were more interesting. Of course they are, because they live in this gorgeous, decrepit old mansion in Southampton called Grey Gardens. And they live there with their, you know, 35 cats and, you know, 10 raccoons. It's a very unusual circumstance because Big Edie divorced the father, Phelan Beale. And he, like, Grey Gardens was always in Big Edie's name. So Big Edie was kind of in her four, maybe even 50s when they divorced. And she always kind of like lived in this fantasy world that Grey Gardens was this magical place where she could sing and dance and entertain. But it was... I mean, you saw the place. It's it's quite grand. You need a staff. You need people to take care of the place. You need a gardener. You need multiple people always kind of keeping up with the place. And it's very easy for a very large house to fall so quickly into a decrepit monstrosity. So, Big Edie loved living in the Hamptons and her husband he was a lawyer and he worked in New York City so little Edie the whole goal was they were trying to get her married and she was not interested in being married she just literally wanted to break into show business and she tried for years until she was about 32 because they found out she was sleeping with a married man, a very powerful married man, and um, the whole time the father was supporting little Edie, but then the mother kind of like undermined everybody and called the father and said, you don't know what your daughter's doing, and brought her back to Grey Gardens. At this point, Grey Gardens is not terrible, but it's kind of falling apart. And um, everything kind of spirals out of control because at the, I mean, this is the 60s and it's like, they have no money. Big Edie is part of the Bouvier Trust, which is part of Jackie O's family and Jackie O's family had a trust for Big Edie and then her husband Phelan passed away so there's no money anymore and the whole idea was sell Grey Gardens and she refused and this is the dramatization the HBO movie part which Drew Barrymore portrays Little Edie and Jessica Lange portrays Big Edie, and both of them do a beautiful job. 
DJ Anubis and I watched both. We watched the HBO version of the dramatization version and we watched the documentary version and they both did an amazing job portraying the people. So when the father dies, he basically like Grey Gardens was in Big Edie's name. And the two younger brothers of Little Edie are like, you have Grey Gardens, sell this shit. Mm -hmm. And Little Edie is like, yes, sell this shit. Let's, let's move to Florida. Let's go somewhere else. Come on now, Mom. And uh, Big Edie, her biggest uh, quote, I, best, I guess is the best way to put it is, she said, Grey Gardens is the only place that I felt like myself. So she could never let go of Grey Gardens. So this is kind of the beginning of the end. Mm -hmm. After the father died and they stopped getting like the, um, the stipend from the dad and the Bouvier Trust ran out, all they had was the property basically and maybe they had some kind of other social security or something because Big Edie was a little bit older. But they just big Edie had some kind of grip on little Edie and would almost trapped her to be there and and big Edie when you see her in the documentary and you see the portrayal of Jessica Lang in the dramatization there she's like bedbound and she's petting her cats and she's reading the daily newspaper and she's eating her ice cream. It's so incredibly sad because she does not want to leave this place that made her feel the happiest she ever felt in her life. And also because Grey Gardens was in her name alone, not her husband's, and you have to think this is a long time ago it was a big deal it was her home so she never wanted to part with that being a real estate owner so you have the this woman who again this is back in the early 70s late 60s she is falling into mental illness she's starting to be a hoarder and she's dragging her daughter into all of this and her daughter, because she feels like she can't leave because she has the whole Catholic guilt pulled upon her, she feels like if she left, her mother would die. So it's incredibly scary for both of them because they're so codependent. The most interesting part, I think, and I think you agree too, was when the... Um, the National Enquirer were, were taking pictures of the place mm -hmm. and then they tried to condemn the place and then Jackie O came in and um, put her money to make it livable again like made right. the water running and got rid of like all the nastiness when I say nastiness like they had no running water they were like pooping in corners they had trash piled up everywhere. They had raccoons living in their attic. It was insane. And for me, when I watch it, I just get this great deal of sadness because I see the sadness from Big Edie, who 
feels like she lost everything except for her house. And then I see little Edie who feels like she's forced to be here and take care of her mother because nothing worked out. And I know you have some other opinions, so I'll let you kind of reel in there. Yeah, you know, I mean, I really don't have, like, a whole, whole lot to say on it. I mean, it's an interesting story. But as we talked about at the time that we were watching, I was like... I mean, you kind of admitted this to me, too. You were, you know, I said, you know, Big Edie was really trying to hold back Little Edie, but at the same time, Little Edie had multiple chances to get away from that and chose not to, like... And I know you've made the arguments that, you know, she really loved her mom. She didn't want to abandon her mom and stuff like that. But it's kind of one of those things where, like, Little Edie shouldn't be bitching about not having a life or not living the life she wanted. Because you chose to stay with your mom. Like, you chose that life. So it was kind of weird because Little Edie was sort of, like, sort of uh, holding a grudge against her mom, but then not doing it because like she loved her mom so it's kind of like she they get in these arguments and you know i loved when her mom like when little lady would talk about like oh i could sing this and her mom's like no you can't oh yeah 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 but her mom did that a lot like even with the guys that little lady would get involved with like biggity's like you couldn't you never could have married him they'll leave you don't do it you know it's a mistake and and it's weird because there's moments where when Little Edie got mad and left, like even when she was just driving, I think she went to the store, but she ended up going to New York or something, but like she would leave and her mom would like just panic because there was just no one there. And then I think the guilt that she felt over her, her mom being alone, because, you know, at one point Grey Gardens had multiple... I don't, I don't want to say servants, but attendants. You know, they had the gardener, they had um, maids, they had people to keep it up. And it, it is a grand estate. They have a kind of like a fucking, uh, the, the shining garden outside their house. They, they had this beautiful old ass mansion. And because it's very old, it was built in the 1800s. It always needed maintenance. It was built before, you know, indoor plumbing. So when you built something before indoor plumbing and then you add indoor plumbing and you're trying to upkeep the electricity and stuff, um, it's really interesting. And remember in the HBO movie when Phelan came to them and, and was, he was saying to Edie before he actually divorced her, he's like, you need to cut back. Mm -hmm. he's, he's like, you have to cut back. You have to, you have to have less attendance. You have to have less people maintaining this place. And she, like, I feel like Big Edie almost felt like Grey Gardens was her. Do you know what I mean? Like, she felt like Grey Gardens, she became Grey Gardens. Because in the end, Big Edie, their, their heating failed. And this is like 1976. So their heating failed, and it's the winter in New York. And they're in Long Island, and the wind and everything. So they had no heat, and Big Edie got um, pneumonia. 
so she she went to the hospital and she died and I think one thing that you were saying to me was that Big Edie was so like stubborn yeah she uh the her biggest fault was that she always wanted to live beyond her means so she had like a close connection with Grey Gardens you like you said she owned it so it, she felt that it was something I kind of like owed to her because of what happened with the husband. And, and, and be, again, because she owned it back in the 30s, it was a big deal for right. a woman to own property. But the, the, the problem with Big E was that she never took the warning sign. So the first time was the sons. And they mm-hmm. were like, you know, you have this amount that's in there. You have the Bouvier Trust, and but then you, you have, have the, your house that's worth 300000 Sell like, the fucking house. Right, but they're like, if you're going to stay here, you got to budget. And she didn't want to do that. She kept going over that. So by the time she ran out of money, she's like, well, just hit up whoever the, the father was. And, and they're like, no, they're not. There's no more. It's gone. And so she'd get frustrated. And then the, the, the other time was, and I don't know if, I think it was after the sons had discussed with her everything, uh, the piano player that was with her, he was the one helping her budget things. And he's like, there's just nothing there. I have to go. Like, I don't have a way to survive here. And but again, that was one of her closer friends that she couldn't get the picture. Like she knew he was leaving, she understood it, but then like it didn't click with her. She just it never did. And then finally, they just ended up being in the the wore down house. And like when everyone else comes in, they're like, "Oh my God, how does anybody live here?" But they were like so used to it being the way it was. And they were they were kind of like. And it's something you see a lot with hoarders. It does the same thing. And, and and that's the other thing too like a lot of people not just the hoarding aspect of it but I think Big Edie also had more kind of like psychological and mental incapacities um, well it's either that or like just the way they were living because for people listening you have to understand they had a lot of animals there Cows were defecating just anywhere in the house, sometimes pissing behind artwork. And when you have situations like that, that leads to other diseases that you may not even see. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had, at one point before Jackie had kind of like spruced it up, they had wallpaper that was peeling and like you might have had mold in there because I'm sure their, their roof and stuff is probably having issues. That you saw like the trees were growing into it. Right. Uh, so a lot of that could have led to a lot of their issues mentally, both of them. Uh, they, they, they were so isolated. And, that, and the thing is, like, I, th- I feel like little Edie was so guilted by her mother because she felt like she had a duty to her mother. And her mother, like, every time her brothers or somebody said something that was an out... Little Edie really tried to to uh, to say like, this is a good idea. Let's right. go. Let's do this. And um, Biggie Edie was a hundred percent against it. So in seventy seven, Big Edie passed away from pneumonia, and um, Little Edie decided that she was going to put Grey Gardens up on the real estate market, but she spent about two years preparing the, you know, I I don't, when they say preparing the lands, I don't know what she did, but she got a lot of offers from real estate developers because 
you have to realize when I say this is a grand estate, it went from their house to the fucking ocean. They had the house, gardens, and an ocean. That is their entire land. And these developers were hungry. They're like, we could put up some fucking condos she here. Wasn't let that happen. And that's that little Edie said no. So it took about two years and she found a buyer. And this was probably about 1979. She found a couple who said they would keep the grounds and they would not develop the grounds. And they did. They kept the grounds as true as possible and kept the because gray gardens they had when they say gray gardens their walls around the gardens were gray so they kept they kept the garden very nice and um that was great for Edie because she got two hundred and twenty thousand dollars from that so little Edie felt like she had a renaissance at 60. She was living in New York City. She was doing cabaret shows. She was she was really feeling herself. And this is, again, probably about 1979, 1980. She was big in the gay circuit because Little Edie was... I don't know what little Edie thought every day when she was doing the documentary, but she woke up, she put on her makeup, she had headdresses, she would put on pantyhose. Granted, they have no money, I don't know where they got pantyhose. They, she just, like, I guess she kept all of her clothes from 25 years ago, and she would turn them into costumes. and the beautiful thing about the documentary is she would just kind of bounce out and say I'm gonna I'm gonna do a dance I'm gonna do a song etc so she got kind of popular in New York she lived in Florida she lived in Canada she lived in California and I'm, I'm really happy because again when Big Edie died, Little Edie was 60. So Big Edie was probably 90. Yeah. And Little Edie the whole time always tried to convince her mother to, to sell the place. And it never happened. And Little Edie... But that's the good thing about when her mom passed is that, you know, we talked about how... Lily went on to actually kind of live her life and you know it was late stages like there's two great things about that one it makes you happy for her that she was able to get some kind of enjoyment from those last few I think she lived for 20 years after that she lived in 2002 so she lived you have to think from 0 to 32 she lived a very rich no no 0 to 32 she lived a very rich debutante New York lots of money money is disposable at 32 she moved back home with mom and then it was destitute, and then it was destitute for like 25 years after that after mom passed away and after the documentary that came out in the 70s from the Maisels um she got popular and she was able to use that tiny bit of popularity 
to kind of propel herself. So like her middle life was not what she wanted, but she didn't let that stop her. Yeah, and then she, also she didn't have any grudges. You said she was uh, fine with the mm -hmm. way her life was. And, you know, I mean, I didn't expect her to, like, hold a massive grudge or hate her mother. But I think, for me personally, if I was in that situation, there would have been a part of me that's like, man, I really should have just did more of my life. Even though I'm happy and I'm doing some things that I like doing. It's like, you can't help but, like, look back and just say you wasted a long time. Even though it was your mom and you loved her and everything, it's just like... We should have just kind of forced her hand to get out of there. And I also feel like little Edie is a little too. Oh, she is, clearly. And I think some of that's because of the, the house. Like, all that shit's going on. Like, it's hard not to... Succumb to that. Yeah, whatever it is. Like, I don't know if they ever did any autopsies on either one of them after the fact, but... Toxoplasmosis between raccoon feces and cat feces will literally, like... Yeah, it just, it can't be a healthy thing, and they went years like that, so, uh... The one thing that I really kind of found endearing, though, was after her mom passed, she reached out to her cousins, uh, like, Jackie's family and stuff, too, and... I don't, I don't know if this was because of the documentary in, in the 80s and stuff, but they really kind of, like, treated little Edie like she was a celebrity, and they, they really built her but up. probably felt bad for her. And I think that's part of it, because, like, little Edie was really into the scene. And this is a woman now who's I mean, 60. She's 60 now. And she wants to be in the scene because there is, she remembered the scene back when she was younger. There are some things that we don't get out of the doc. Like, we don't know how much of the sons tried to convince mom to get out of it. We don't know how much Jackie tried to influence them to get out of there. So it's possible that... Uh, you know, we get we don't have all the information about what was going on back then that would, you know, because you have to say to yourself, well, okay, Edie's little Edie's out of there now. We're gonna treat her like the best thing, but why weren't we there before? But maybe they did try before and just couldn't be successful in getting them to get out of there. But you remember though, in the doc, they were like little Edie was so protective of her mother in the house, so. Anytime anyone came on their, and they had a, a massive property, so you you couldn't see it all the time, but little Edie with her binoculars all the time, so anytime she saw somebody on the property, she would get really pissed off, and You I, don't belong here. Exactly, and I think that was part of it, like she was protecting her mom, and prior to that before Jackie intervened and cleaned up the house when they were trying to um evict them and say that they're having like you know squalor she would little Edie came outside and she's like you're not allowed in here unless you have an authorized search warrant and they didn't and she was like very very stern about it so but I, the reality is they were there for health checks and like I mean, she did the right thing because they didn't have anything, but they ended up coming back with one, and that's when shit was really hitting the fan. And that's when Jackie got the notification, and that's when Jackie, she came in with her money. But I, 
it, it, this really kind of pulls at my heartstrings because you've got a mom and a daughter who um, are living in a fantasy world mm -hmm. and the one thing the one quote that um, Big Edie says is Grey Gardens is the only place I felt like myself and when Jackie this is the dramatization but when Jackie looked at her and just kind of shook her head in you know acknowledgement she understood like she's never gonna leave Grey Gardens and you know for you and I if we had something I mean we don't we don't have millions of dollars or anything but if you and I were if somebody told you like oh you we have to shut down this house because there's a thousand cats in here or whatever you would have a little bit more clear head than Big Edie Big Edie I, I think was kind of living in 1930 mm -hmm. instead of 1972 and big well there was a big disconnect between mm -hmm. her and her daughter and that was Big Edie was very talented but she was more interested in marrying a rich guy because that was just a time period women didn't really think too much about careers so to speak she probably was very interested that's why she did the whole singing a lot when she was at Grey Gardens that's like that was her party time that was when she can be mm -hmm. who she wanted to be e little Edie was quite the opposite she was ready to be a career woman she didn't want to be a homebody she didn't care about getting married she she even said in the documentary after she was older she was like I could live in any little rat's nest in New York I could live in any hole in New York because she wanted to work mm -hmm. it's it's heartbreaking and so interesting and like if I was doing a PhD I do it on the Beals honestly I I did more research on all of them and after leaving the house, little Edie moved into the coach house in Southampton and she just separated. So you have to understand, Grey Gardens is a mansion, they have a garden, they have a coach house and that's where Edie moved to. And then she was like, okay, I'm done. Like after her mom died? All she wanted to do was make friends, sell the house, and just go to New York and start her cabaret show. She had a cabaret show. It was 10 shows. It was a little bit successful. Um, Lee, who is Jackie's younger sister, was very helpful for little Edie and kind of got her on her feet. But then little Edie, the biggest thing with her, I know she said she hated living in the country, but little Edie was a very avid swimmer. And we saw that in the documentary and she ended up moving to Florida. 
where she could swim. And she was able to take over the money and, you know, she was able to make amends with her family. And after years and years and years, even her, like, great nephews in California, they were who took her in. Now, I'm not saying on her deathbed, but she was, like, you know, 80-something years old, and they were like, okay, Annie, you know, come to California. And she was so excited because she never swam in the fucking Pacific Ocean. So, I under, like... I look at, I look at Big Edie and I'm, I'm like more angry, but like I look at Little Edie and I feel sad because she lost like a huge chunk in the middle of her life, but. That's what I'm saying, because like Little Edie would have been quite content to take her mom to a nice little island and spend that time with her there, but it was just remaining there with the constant like weather and. You know, it was nice when it was nice, but, you know, one thing Lily said, she didn't like the winters. The Hamptons winters are bad. Yeah, they're brutal. Like, a lot of wind. So, you know, she would have been like, okay, let's take a smaller place, but go to somewhere nice, and we can do whatever we want. In fact, really, if she was able to convince her mom, it would have been like, we can do this shit together. We can sing and dance for people together. And, it's and like, she couldn't. Right. So... If you want to watch the 1975 documentary, Grey Gardens, watch that and then watch the 2006 HBO dramatization of uh, Grey Gardens. It has Drew Barrymore and Jessica Lange as Little Edie and Big Edie. And for me, like, I still always... I'm looking shit up because I cannot believe, I mean, when I say these people are rich, they're unbelievably rich and the fact that they came to squalor is unheard of. I mean, like you and I, we could lose a job, we could, we could fuck up, but these people had millions and millions in dollars. In 
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now.
right, DJ News back with you. Neko's taking a break, but we're going to close out this show. Again, thank you all for uh, tuning in and supporting the Metal Time Radio podcast as well as the internet radio station. Be sure to get on our website. Go down at the bottom. There's a Shopify link there if you want any merch. Uh, also, as we discussed before, uh, we have isopods and springtail culture mix uh, available for selling as well or for purchase if you need any for your reptiles, arachnids, stuff like that. So any kind of support would help. Appreciated. Thank you very much. Have your all good night. Closing it out with some Reign of Fury. This is The Hound. I'll see you later.